the what Chargers are going to be kicking themselves after this. Like, I don't think you can be a Chargers No, fan. they won't. They'll be going for it on themselves on fourth down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <okay. to> <laughs> Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. Another week's in the books, we're hitting into the Christmas stretch, and uh, we've started the hashtag Fire Urban Meyer trend. Yeah, hey, got Connor here, I'm back. Uh, we've also got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? We're all about to start embarking on our travelling around for Christmas, but uh, for now, how's things in Cork? Grand, grand, yeah. It's uh, wet at the moment. Yellow weather warning in effect. But uh, yeah, heading up to Athlone to home tomorrow, um, tomorrow night probably, and um, bringing the cat, which will be fun. <laughs> Very uh, exciting. Probably there till New Year's, and then we'll see. Yeah, no, it's good. It'll be good to get get back for a while, and hopefully we don't get trapped up there. I hope there's no post Christmas COVID restrictions coming that uh, screw I'd say, over. I'd say more more likely than the. Uh, travel restrictions would just be the chance of an indirect kind of having to isolate for a bit and waiting on tests or something. Mm. Possibly, yeah, possibly. Yeah. But no, uh, and yourself running house tricks, you're yeah, already well, up in Cavan, aren't you? Yeah, I usually come back a bit early, usually have a bit of a leftover leave, uh, especially through these days when there's not so much to, to leave for uh, for much of the year. Uh, but yeah, back in Cavan, not doing too much, it's pretty quiet. Uh, I know, Connor, you're going through some of uh, some. Uh, bathroom redo uh, apparently well, I came back and there's some of that happening here at home so I've I'm a few days out from a shower and I'm just like very <laughs> desperate to get that back online to be honest yeah yeah so we, we, we have the plus out of there's a nice gym just across the road from us so we've been over and back to them uh, they have started to look at us weirdly because they have started to realise this person has come over and gone to the pool and has left five minutes later having quite often just gone for a shit because uh, we don't have a have a toilet down here but also just using it for showers and stuff like that so I'd, just to be clear I don't go into the pool and take a shit yeah but at least when you take the shower you come out <laughs> Good, wet I'm so they're like you, you, you could plausibly have been uh, you know in the pool yeah that's just true dive bomb in dive bomb out <laughs> grand job <laughs> Oh, but, but yeah, um, yeah. So it's been an interesting week. Obviously, I missed last week. There's been a lot going on, a lot of excitement around the league. Uh, some we've had some clenching uh, of, of of positions. We've had some places open up. So I suppose we'll fire into the news. And as we mentioned there uh, last week, you started with the hashtag because uh, you were recording the day before it happened. Jacksonville fired head coach Urban Meyer after a really disaster. You can't even call it a first season because he didn't get to the end of the first season. Um, a combination of like on-field terribleness of benching James Robinson even though he's the best player uh, not really helping their first overall pick Lawrence play well going 2-12 and 12. Uh, and then like off-field decisions as well so we have the 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 probably the more recent one would be like the bring that like he actually kicked their kicker Josh Lambeau during warm-up and then told him he'll kick whoever the fuck he wants he's the fucking coach um but also like hiring a racist strength coach telling all of his coaches that they're losers and threatening to fire them all the time basically he just sounded like one of the worst people in the world and a terrible 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 example for bringing college coaches up to the NFL and them not being able to manage it Dara Bevel's been made the interim head coach, but like, yeah, this is just, this was as bad as it could have gone, really, um, 
yeah, like, you know, it, it almost harkened back to, to, to wishing that it was still the days where, like, the issue was that he was clearly getting grinded on by someone who's not his wife the day after a huge loss on a Thursday night football game. Like, those those are simpler times. Um, but, yeah, this is surely a dent in the likelihood of a lot of coaches moving up directly from college, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not a it's not a very common thing at the moment, uh, and I think I think there are excuses you can make. You can kind of see, oh, Jacksonville should have seen this coming. I mean, we were talking in in season preview pods about his the bullying culture that he had back in in college and the various accusations against him on that front. So it's not like, I mean, you can make the excuse that this is a this is just Urban Meyer. It was a complete dickhead, and the NFL is less tolerant of coaches who are utter dickheads than in college where there's like power dynamics where you can bully young kids as opposed to having to bully 300 pounds, you know, offensive linemen and stuff. Um, so I, I don't know what impact it'll have in terms of the hiring of college coaches, but certainly it's just another mark in Jacksonville's long history of really terrible decisions. And one of those that in retrospect, everyone can say, well, yeah, we could see this coming. Um, this was, the off-field stuff definitely seemed that there were hints that this was going to happen, and it, I mean, it's it's farcical how you know insane it got after a while. But also on the field, I mean, we watched them in London, and the team really seems to have at least had some good inner spirit. They're really fighting for that win um, when we saw them play the Dolphins, and and there there is some talent there. Lawrence has obviously not realized his potential, but I mean that could be put down to the fact that he's in a very toxic situation. So I mean I think there's a core kind of a kernel of a good team here. They just need to find someone who's not a complete asshole um, to run it. Who is you know I mean it just yeah it's it's a thing that could only happen in America. I suppose that someone this outrageous could be given a position of power and not be held accountable for years and years and years until finally he gets into a place where all these kind of things come out in the open and his position becomes untenable. Yeah, and one of the one of the criticisms that would have been in place previously about Jacksonville in particular, Shad Khan, would have been that he doesn't move quickly on these types of issues. Uh, people were kind of expecting almost like a Bengal style thing of he could be terrible, but because they signed him for four or five years that he'll probably be there for three or four of those. Um, it's probably a positive step from Jacksonville to kind of get in front of this and say, Do you know what? No, fuck this. We made a mistake. We need to change it. Um, now it doesn't, doesn't help with the questions that are probably sitting around the management team's decision-making processes, because this is one of many swings and misses, but it le- at least it seems to be, taking a little bit of ownership for them making a mistake and trying to get past it. Right, Ronan? I would like to believe so. Like, this was a, a project of love for Shad Khan. He was the one pushing internally to fire Meyer. Uh, all these rhyming things. But anyway, he was the one who really wanted this guy. And there, obviously, as we mentioned, a lot of red flags about this guy coming in from the college level. His kind of attitude towards coaching being very much a domineering uh, approach, which may work in college, where you're trying to get like a bunch of kids to basically play tough. Uh, but at the co- at the NFL level, where you're dealing with professionals, people who have family, people who have grown up, uh, people who are many in their 30s, um, that kind of stuff doesn't really... Uh, fly and it's important to note that Meyer he lost his fellow coaches by basically saying that they're all losers and it's all their fault um, and you know obviously some of the coaches that he brought in himself that he was friendly with are some of the ones who got fired for their own personal histories he lost the players obviously you mentioned the kind of very public spat with James Robinson who basically was very 
you know, uh, diplomatic in the sense of going, well, I don't know why I'm getting played, but they're not playing me, basically. Uh, but apparently Marvin Jones, um, obviously a veteran wide receiver they brought in, basically had to be convinced to come back because he was so fucking annoyed with <laughs> Urban Meyer that he was looking, he would, could have quit the team, basically, at the time. And I think the big thing is that, you know, Trevor Lawrence, he's not someone who generally goes and picks up too much of a fuss in the media, but he was definitely making comments that could easily be interpreted as a loss of fate in Urban Meyer, particularly in, in the sense of when defending James Robinson and saying he should be getting more carries. Um, and then you, yeah, you just see all the other incidents with Urban Meyer, like he, you know, get, get, and also getting found out by the media, obviously with the with the uh, video that came out of him getting grinded on uh, after just after his team lost, and he decided to stay in Ohio. To more recently, where uh, someone from the media asked for a player about a player, and he should get more snaps, and he said, "Oh, we should get more snaps." and that he did and he had got zero snaps in the previous game so he just didn't seem to have any idea what he was doing and so Shad Khan's pet project has ended in disaster and you know even compared to some of the recent like one and dones like say Freddie Kitchens this truly is on a next level even compared to other college coaches that have failed like uh, uh, who have failed in recent years this is on the next level truly Urban Meyer has no use at the NFL level as a head coach perhaps he's good at recruitment so he might get a job in college but for this level where coaching matters where you're on an even field you know every game it is indeed against Alabama Urban Meyer maybe you should kick off the college where you have an unfair advantage yeah um, so we'll see who's going to come in there obviously there's you know it's a lost season regardless so it doesn't make a huge amount of difference it's just to see if they can maybe rally a little bit and uh, maybe this kind of movement shows that the management is on the side of the players and try and salvage some of the locker room uh, in COVID news the NFL and the NFL PA have agreed to update protocols similar to the 2020 regulations this includes masks for vaccinated players more outside and virtual meetings rather than in-person meetings limiting visitors um, they're also going to reduce some of the requirements for testing such as like the two tests 24 hours apart to um, return from uh, illness to now just two tests in general and uh, vax players being tested only if symptomatic which oh, I'm not sure about that one now uh, this obviously comes following last week where a number of COVID outbreaks saw a couple of games get moved Las Vegas and Cleveland was moved from Saturday to Monday Seattle Rams and Washington football team Philly were moved to Tuesday um, they all went ahead which was positive and we were discussing over text I think at the time um, I think Sean you were saying basically that there's never actually been a forfeited game although though there was one that people thought maybe over and back was, but because I lacked the rules where it never technically was um, was forfeited, which was what was coming down the line for these guys. And this week we have 213 positives uh, since week 14. We have outbreaks in Kansas City, uh, LA Chargers and Washington football team. So likely we're going to see some games uh, moved this week as well. But yeah, this definitely starts to feel even more so than I think some of last season teetering a little bit on the shit. We're going to hit some problems. Yeah, and this is something that's happening basically in sports leagues across the world. Uh, the Premier League has had a number of games that had to be suspended uh, for a number of weeks. So they have a longer season, so they have a bit more flexibility. Um, and it's happening pretty much everywhere. Obviously, in the US, the Omicron wave has come in quite strongly. And as we know from the epidemiological data, it quickly gets a hold and takes over. And, you know, you're seeing very strong statements on the US government level from President Biden and stuff like that. We don't need to get into that because this isn't the type of podcast for that. Uh, I to say the Omicron is in the US. It's getting very strong. And the NFL and the NFLPA are having to react and i think you know the first set of changes make complete sense returning to those 2020 regulations tightening things up and basically treating vax you know no longer treating vaccinated players as if they are completely safe
safe basically the kind of reward for being vaccinated you can basically act as if it wasn't there we do know that vaccinated people can spread it though less than unvaccinated people and obviously much less a risk and much less to be symptomatic uh, but it makes sense to just go to that level and these are fairly trivial things and the infrastructure should exist given what happened last year I think the most controversial change is this change to the you know return to play protocols uh, in regards to COVID-19 um, where no longer does that have to be 24 hour power 24 hour parts you simply have to have two negative tests within any time frame and so obviously you would imagine there's going to be a lot more aggressive testing to get around there and of course this change where vaccinated players um, will no longer be automatically tested uh, so effectively the only things that will exist is that if they're symptomatic they'll be tested and then there'll be some random spot checking um, but the symptomatic Thing, which is obviously supposed to be like the most most important one and the one that catches these is obviously creates a lot of perverse incentives because obviously players and coaches and other people might be somewhat incentivized not to say that they're symptomatic to avoid a bunch of testing and a bunch of people being sent on uh, to the COVID list and you know having to forfeit a game or lose a game um, because of your you know lacking so many players so look this week already we've seen Kansas City have a huge outbreak missing players like Tyreek Hill I think at the, the moment we've got 15 players that have uh, been yeah. put onto the COVID list yeah Chargers I think you're dealing Joey Bosa is probably the highlight there and Washington team that they were already kind of dealing with it and I think they have a bunch of other players coming on every day it still feels like unsurprising for the organisation but yeah like obviously the NFL will do everything in its power to make these games go ahead and you know we established a precedent last year when they forced Denver to play without a quarterback that there's a huge extreme they're willing to go to to make games happen but you well, know, there I is say, probably just, just to bear in mind that in threshold. that case the in that case the organization had completely circumvented what the regulation was meant to be and there was an element of punishment that went into them making them do that yes but you know i think you know we've already seen two teams uh, in these games that were moved have to play third string quarterbacks that weren't even on their roster a week before um mm. so obviously i think due to that change to the practice squad you can get a quarterback in on short notice but you know when you're giving, giving guys who haven't even on your squad um aren't even on your own practice squad you know the nfl is pushing to the limits what might be seen as fair play and you know as a Seahawks fan um, perhaps it's probably not the most egregious case but like the Rams were the team that caused the game to be delayed but by the time the game came around Seattle were dealing with their own COVID outbreak and ended up being short-handed compared to the Rams um, so you know from a competitive point of view you could rightfully be a bit annoyed there um, but uh, yeah I'm sure there'll be a bit more controversy coming up here and a lot more cases are coming through every day it feels like um, so yeah a lot of lopsided or unavoidable uh, kind of controversy likely to come down the road due to COVID-19 for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, we're not at 2020 levels yet. I mean, we have to remember last year there were games being moved weeks and stuff just so that the people had their bye weeks moved so they could fit in games and all this kind of stuff. We're not at that level yet and hopefully we don't um, get there. Um, I mean, it, it does seem that the NFL is going to make an effort to try and play every single one of these games. I think last year when they made the Broncos play without a quarterback, it kind of demonstrated that come hell or high water, all these games um, are going to be played. Obviously, it wasn't ideal for the Browns, as we'll talk about their season basically now almost effectively over because they they you know couldn't field a team that could beat the the Vegas Raiders. Um, so I mean, it is it, it's you know it's unfair, but but what are you going to do? Um, just on the just the, the history thing that you mentioned, yeah, there has been no forfeits whatsoever in the league's history. Um, there's one game between the wonderfully named Rochester Jeffersons and the Washington Senators that historically has been listed as a forfeit. This was in 1921, but this was 
Back then, teams could actually just cancel games without any punishment, which really would not work uh, in, in modern football. Um, so modern records considered as a cancellation, but there's been no, no team has ever forfeited. Games have been cancelled because of strikes or such like, but there's never been a forfeited game. And I, I doubt there would be. I mean, if, if the Broncos are willing to play without a quarterback last season, then it kind of demonstrates that all teams are going to fight. And even the Browns, I mean, they were competitive. They I mean, their talk was that they were going to get, you know, blown out and they ended up almost winning the game. So, I mean, the teams are generally, if you can put 22 players uh, on, 11 players on each side of the ball who are of NFL caliber, you can generally be competitive. Um, uh, and so I think teams will continue to do that. But hopefully, yeah, these, I mean, there seems to be a, a lot of kind of contradictions in the new policies. They're tightening up some areas and loosening some other ones. So I'm not sure it's actually going to make much of a difference. But I mean, as Omicron continues to expand, it's only inevitable these kind of things are going to happen. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if we get to the playoffs because playoffs are going to be when you can't really start moving teams to Tuesdays or whatever. That's when there are going to be some serious issues about fairness and sporting integrity if it continues into January. Yeah, um, we'll have a look at a couple of transactions. So uh, Minnesota have waived, actually this is the main one we'll talk about, uh, Brashad Breland, a cornerback, uh, came after an on-field fight with players and coaches. Um, what's The story that's come out from him is that there was essentially a disagreement with a coach that started in one of the meeting rooms. Um, he didn't expect it to come out onto the field, but once they were on the field it happened, and then some other players got involved in it as well, but the team decided to cut him. Uh, it's it's an interesting movie. He hasn't exactly been playing particularly well this year, but they also don't have a ton of depth at cornerback in Minnesota at the moment. It does seem weird to wave a starting player uh, when you're trying to you know play your way into uh, into a wild card spot. But look, they obviously think that whatever it was was serious enough to 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 to, um, to justify kind of getting rid of him. Uh, I don't think he was actually. I think the majority of his money has been paid out to him already because I think there was only a couple of game day guarantees for if he suits up left so um it wasn't saving much money or anything so they must obviously think that this was this was worthwhile i i I didn't read a huge amount about this if i'm honest i just read a couple of kind of short pieces on it yeah look it just seems like a situation that got out of control and it's an organization that decided that having a player like that um, was more disruption in his word. He's kind of a very much replacement level starter, like, you know, good enough to start, but not good enough to really put up with this type of issue. Mm-hmm. I think they got Patrick Peterson back recently, so he was probably, he was, you know, there's more room to move on. Um, and they have the two younger guys, Mackenzie Alexander and Cameron Dantzler, who probably get more snaps because of it. But like for a team whose defensive back depth isn't great, it, it definitely was a move that seems to be pushed by uh, the organization, basically taking a stand and saying, we don't need this right now. Uh, and look, he'll probably get picked up somewhere. He's kind of kicked around kind of decent teams in recent years. Um, so I imagine he'll probably pick up maybe a team that's very desperate and is still contending. Yeah. Uh, other bits of news around the league. We have a couple of injuries. Uh, Tampa Bay, and we will come on to this in a wider sense as well, uh, with Tampa Bay losing weapons and what the knock-on effect for um, for their performance has been. But Tampa Bay have now lost wide receiver Chris Godwin, has done his ACL and he's out for the season. I believe he's also had a contract at the end of this year. Leonard Fournette, uh, big playoff Lenny, has uh, injured his hamstring and he's out for three to four weeks. Uh, they're signing Le'Veon Bell because, Jesus, why not just give Tom Brady the, 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 the fucking... The, the bees the killer bees um mike evans has also injured his hamstring and he's week to week uh this is a lot of pieces of the offense to go missing all at once for tampa bay and uh, arizona and this again could also be a big one wide receiver deandre hopkins has injured his knee he's gone for the rest of the regular season they said he might be able to come back during the playoffs but uh that's a huge loss 
Castle, and we've seen obviously Kyler's just coming back after his injury and stuff. But like, not having New Hopkins on the on on the field has shown to slow down their offense a bit. As to be honest, you just assume it would have to. Um, that's two big NFC contenders there who are missing key parts of their offense. For Arizona, it was a very tight knit kind of explosive group. For Tampa Bay, that is a lot of where their their offensive production came from this entire season. Whose music is yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it's Antonio Brown. He's back. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> remember, remember when we said that you know maybe we're not going to bring him back and he's very problematic. Uh, no, forget that. He's coming back and he's playing week fifteen. Probably. Do, probably do, week do, 16. do you remember the strong statement you said of if he comes down here, if he steps one toe out of line, he's gone? Yep. Nah. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sean. You're going to give an analysis that the healers here is actually going to be gone. Uh. uh well, yeah, no, I, I mean it's it's I well I think the big the big impact of this is that basically that this means the Packers are guaranteed to be your number number one seed in the NFC because these are the two teams that could stop them. As I'll talk about in the, in the game reviews, the Bucks offense just seems to not exist when they get down to their second string, and obviously the Cardinals are a bit of a downswing as well, and D Hop is is a big part of what makes it happen. So yeah, congratulations to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers for having sealing sealed. Uh, home field advantage uh, throughout the playoffs. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the Bucks in particular. Can Tom pull together an offense that works enough to, to get them through uh, uh, the last few weeks of the season and into the playoffs? Because the Saints game was an absolute disaster offensively. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, on that front. Yeah, other other moves around is Tennessee. Julio Jones is injured his hamstring. He's week to week. Man, that has just not worked out for them at all. Uh, Denver quarterback Teddy Bridgewater's concussion. He's also week to week. Pittsburgh tight end Pat Fryermouth is uh, concussed, and he's also week to week. And the Chargers tight end Donald Parham is concussion. He's week to week. To be honest, I'm amazed. When I saw that Parham injury live, I was well, it wasn't live. So I was rewatching it, but like it just did not look in real time like that was just a concussion that looked like it was something significantly more um, more dangerous but yeah this is Tennessee are just holding out until they can get King Henry back Denver Teddy Bridgewater not being there not a big fucking deal they're not exactly contenders uh, Firemouth is a big one for Pittsburgh because they are pushing on the bubble and to be honest Big Ben can't throw it so he needs tight ends like that are within five yards of him and the Chargers that's that that's gonna hurt them a bit but yeah uh, it's not 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 a great week for a lot of these kind of contenders, or in Tennessee's case, locked up the playoffs. But God knows what they'll look like. Yeah, like look, like these concussions. Like there's a lot of concussions every week, and we, we kind of don't talk about all of them. But I think these three all looked really bad on the field. In particular, mm. the Donald Parham one, where like the movements that he was making um, after his injury were quite. Uh, scary, basically. Yeah, everyone presumed it was in, a was it was a neck injury. Like, yeah, he was making involuntary jerks and things like that, and it was uh, yeah, just a very um, scary situation. And we're just thankful that he and Teddy Bridgewater also seemed to be in a lot of uh, distress um, when he got his concussion and he had to be taken strapped down, basically completely taken off. That we're just the, all the news we've heard is good and positive, and hopefully. Um, you know, it's just a concussion in terms of their injury. That's what we're being told. Um, whether you should play them again um, until everything's 100%, 
Um, I would have questions, but uh, we'll, in Teddy Bridgewater's case, the Denver Broncos might feel they have no choice. And fire boots also look pretty bad on the field. So, look, these were just three concussions, what, what we were calling concussions, but which looked really bad in the field. And just worth saying that we're very thankful that these guys are, 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 seem to have got through and it didn't, isn't as bad as it looked there. And look for Julio Jones. Yeah, he played, well, he played for like a game and a half and then the hamstring kind of got up and he basically has to be productive since he come back. So he might be someone that they might just want to rest again. I think AJ Brown is, is, is designated to come back from Iowa. So, maybe that could give him a little bit of help in Tennessee and then Henry they're hoping to get back if not in week 18 if they need him um, if there's still playoffs up in play or in the playoffs um, so yeah but like I think for Julio for them probably just need to keep him put him on ice just play it safe and you know deal with the fact that you know you're more probably less likely to win um you know and get the number one seed i think that's probably out of the question now just get your win against i think jacksonville left and you know get to the playoffs and we'll see where you go from there because i think once they're wholly healthy tennessee we know are a scary team but there's no point in playing these guys if they're just going to re-aggravate these injuries that they've had all year and i suppose we'll move on and take a look at the games from last week So first up, Kansas City at the LA Chargers. This is the battle for the top spot in the AFC West. It's now been locked down by Kansas City in a 34-28 overtime win. Um, the Holmes looked resurgent, 442 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. Kelsey just had a hell of a day, 191 yards and two touchdowns. Um, a big chunk of that coming on. That overtime one that, like, honestly, I don't really get it. Like, I love the Chiefs and I love Kelsey and he's great crack. I don't understand why people find it so hard to tackle him. Like, he's big, but, like, he's not overly fast. He's not overly quick. There's no reason, apart from Derwin James not being on the field during that play, that one of those five defenders that Kelsey ran past, and I would say trundled past, shouldn't have managed to be able to actually catch him. He'll look big as well, 148 and a touchdown, a couple of big ones. Um... Herbert looked pretty decent, 236, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, he kind of was very slow to start, and the Chiefs looked to really dominate the first quarter. Then the Chargers came back into it and that kind of stuff. But there was a lot of lot of interesting play-calling decisions that happened in this one, uh, particularly on the Chargers' side of the ball. They basically decided that they don't like the idea of kicking field goals uh they are afraid of kind of leaving points on the board so they just went for it on fourth down quite a lot and uh were unsuccessful i think two of five on on fourth down attempts uh the rush game went okay uh like i think nearly 200 yards in it but they had to go away from it at times because they just were freaked out a little bit um the big one here was the Chiefs' defense looked quite good, particularly the linebacking core, because Gay was out in this one, but Bolton was in there, and he was all over the place disrupting stuff, and uh, it, w- it was great to see, particularly because the question I had uh, going into this one was, with Chris Jones missing the game, with one or two of the other defensive players missing, who's going to be able to step up? Uh, and it was Bolton who stepped up in a big way, uh, and yeah, it was, was, was very impressive. Unfortunate for the Chargers, they couldn't get it done. Uh, it does kind of feel a little bit like... I know we said probably once a year, but these overtime rules, I'm still not 100% sure on the just, you know, that the Chiefs got to hold the ball and win it rather than letting the Chargers offense also get a shot at something. Um, it felt a little bit unfortunate after what was a very closely fought uh, performance. The, the Chargers are going to be kicking themselves after this. Like, I don't think you could be a Chargers No, fan. they won't. They'll be going for it on themselves on fourth down. <laughs> uh-huh, okay. to kick. <laughs> It, like, look, this is just a situation where, like, look, like, like the Chiefs played really well. 
Um, like Mahomes looked more like Mahomes. Like there were a couple of mistakes, particularly uh, down the stretch, where you thought there was maybe a chance the Chiefs could have ran away a little bit uh, before they let the kind of Chargers come back into it. Uh, but he was getting a lot of help from, yeah, as you say, Travis Kelsey, basically completely rampant, basically seeming to be untackleable, getting open at will, um, and Tyreek Hill also having a really good game. Um, and you're kind of going like a lot of teams have shut down the Chiefs by shutting down those two guys, and Brandon Staley supposed to be a defensive coach, and you're kind of going, you couldn't just do what like the other teams have done um just cover those two guys make them pass it to Nicole Hardman and see what happens um or even just let make them run the ball more like yeah I, like I, I'm not sure about that but like uh, Sean can probably talk about that but I think on the Chargers side like okay I I get it like the analytics and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff but you know there's two two sides. Firstly, like this level of aggression in certain scenarios to me didn't make any sense. Coming up to the end of the half, um, you have a good opportunity to go in um, ahead of the Chiefs, kind of set a good like uh, set a good um, precedent, be a touchdown ahead. Going into the second half, and you know you're at the end of the half, so you have very limited flexibility if something goes wrong, and they just decide to go for it anyway. And this has been set up by a fumble from the Chiefs, so you already have the momentum, and yet Brandon Staley, for whatever reason, is pushing um, the really aggressive fourth down calls, even in scenarios where it doesn't seem to be justified by any extent like I realize that in previous seasons like you know the, the cliche is like the Chiefs are going to score a point to point you have to score more than them that hasn't really been true this year the Chiefs have obviously not been that same level of explosive offense and they certainly weren't that level of explosive offense in the first half of this game and um, where the Chargers were you know probably should have had a lot more points because their first drive literally went down to the one yard line and then they fucked it up um, but with, with, you know by, by you know failing to convert a fourth down having four downs to get a touchdown and they couldn't get done and then yeah just to compound that situation and the turnover they had in the first half by doing this at the end of the half and refusing to go in seven points ahead it was just a very unusual situation to go and then things didn't get better when they go into the third, into the third quarter you know they they their first drive again they fail to score by choosing for going on fourth down then they have a fumble literally on the goal line and you know the big thing for me was that on these fourth downs nearly all of them were situations where they ended up putting the ball in Herbert's hand and having kind of what I felt like were kind of cute plays when the fact is that the run game was working really really effectively and was and I think that's probably due to the fact that Chris Jones I think didn't play, didn't play in this game so their defensive line wasn't as stout as it usually was there was definitely a weakness up the middle um, and while they seem to exploit that in the wholeness of the game because they ended up racking nearly up 200 yards in total and that was with Austin Eckler hurt so he wasn't even 100% and kind of didn't play for much of the second half Justin Jackson was getting 6.6 yards per carry so I don't know it just seemed a relatively you know there, there's limits to where this makes sense I realized that there you know some of their fourth down conversions ended up turning you know drives that would have been you know no points or, or three points into touchdowns so you know on the swings and roundabouts you can say it's all right but I think psychologically you know having an opportunity to rack up some more points for second half and refusing to take it just seems to me a little bit too far up your own ass and we could talk about some of the other teams uh, who, who in, in a moment who also seem to be way too aggressive for their own good and put themselves in situations that they don't need to be um, so for look the Charger like overall we know that Herbert is still capable of doing special moments although he did start a little bit um, slow in this game and he obviously was responsible because Brandon Silly chose to on those fourth down conversions he wasn't very good he didn't get it done and ultimately you have to put some blame on him when you see his him as like a over you know a, a franchise level quarterback uh, and their defense when uh, as you mentioned they lost the say lost their, their star safety it basically seemed to fall apart very quickly this is a defense that for long stretches of season has been way 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 below par and it seems like there's only one or two pieces go out and the whole thing seems to collapse in itself and the Chiefs were able to just get like Hill and Kelsey as they say 
basically going completely over them for long parts of this game, especially in that second half. So for the Chargers, like, yeah, I, like, I get it. It's aggressive. It, it, it's part of their identity. But maybe, you know, as, you're, as you take this game, which obviously means that you're probably going to the wild card instead of a chance of winning the division, maybe you should take some lessons from this. Maybe you should, you know, tone it down a bit. As you get into, into January football, these types of margins are what makes a difference. Uh, and you do need to just, like, you know, maybe take a little bit more. Like, there's, there are limits to what you should be doing, Brandon Staley. Maybe tone it down a little bit, in my opinion. Wow, Ronan. I'm surprised. I, I thought Stats Guy Ronan was going to be talking about blind adherence to the analytics and just doing what the numbers say, and then my job would be coming in and talk about the importance of context and psychology. <laughs> but now he's totally, totally stolen my thunder, so I don't know what to say. Now. It's okay. Sean, like, like, Sean, Sean, just say beep that, up, up, computer says go for it. That that would make sense <laughs> if it was a team of, of me's or a team of Brandon Staley's out there, but you're not dealing with a team of like computing machines. You're dealing with a team of players in an incredibly emotional game, and you're continually putting the defense, which worked really hard in the first half to create a situation where it could be seven points up, basically leaving their work very, very much feeling undone. No, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's momentum is so huge in the NFL. And I'm like, okay, so the first time they went on for fourth and short, fourth and goal, whatever, and failed, fine. You're you're trying to get points to the board. The second time when you're like three seconds left in the second quarter and you're you're up but not by much, you've got a chip shot field goal and you've already missed a fourth and goal, just pick, kick the fucking field goal. Don't don't try and get fancy in situations where the obvious play is to just take the points. Um, they ended up, I think in the end, probably they lost somewhere between two and five points in, in terms of making the decision to go there because the Chiefs also screwed up a, a fourth and short as well. Um, but for the charge, I mean, it's it's odd, especially when your default is to try and pass in those situations. I mean, if you're going to go for fourth and short, you should probably default to the run game. The run game, which was, as you said, was doing quite nicely, but they just don't seem to trust it in key spots. And in all the really key spots, Staley seems to call pass plays because, I mean, Herbert's the superstar and he's going to get things done. But I think that was the kind of the mistake in terms um, of that. I mean, it takes away from the fact that this was actually a cracking game. I mean, I mean, I just want to emphasize how much I enjoyed this game. Um, and I remember there was like a Thursday night Chargers Chiefs game maybe three years ago, which was equally kind of fantastic and ended up being like a 29-28. So, I mean, they should definitely just make the Chiefs and Chargers play on Thursday night forever. <laughs> none of this, none of this Panthers versus Texans bullshit or Bengals v the Bengals v the the, well, the, uh, joy, know, the, the Lions the, or whatever. The joy of the the Jags versus the Texans last week, I think, was <laughs> Jags just Titans just give us the typical oh, early season TNF. I, like I know they got to get around the league and give every team one shot or something, but just just give us the Chiefs and Chargers, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, the Chargers, I mean, they're a fun team to watch. Herbert is obviously going to be a massive superstar. They're de developing something on the offensive side, even if they don't quite know what they have. Their defense is not going to be good enough in big games. When it gets to the playoffs, their defense is going to be killed. Um, and even their pass defense, which is supposed to be the stronger part of their game, was really weak uh, here. They got kind of outplayed a little bit in terms of the Chiefs. The the, the Chiefs, what I, what I found interesting about the Chiefs' offensive style is you can kind of see them slowly over the past four or five weeks beginning to work these mid-range passes, beginning to work out how to exploit these defenses that are being set up against them, the the, the, the shell defenses, the cover twos or whatever. They're, they're trying to force teams to cheat and they're getting better at getting Kelsey or Hill involved between the, between the, the front seven and the secondary and it's beginning to work and, and avoiding turnovers which is also a very big part of where it all went wrong for the Chiefs so the offense getting back into the groove this was probably the best game the best non-Raiders offensive game I've seen <laughs> from the Chiefs uh, in about six weeks 
Um, ironically, the defense had probably its weakest game in the last four or five weeks, giving up 28 points when they were averaging giving up 10 or whatever. But they did step up when they needed to. The big goal line stands, the stops on all those fourths and ones. they got to give credit to that. So, yeah, this probably wins the division for the Chiefs. Uh, they're looking like they're going to get the number one seed in the AFC, which kind of wipes out the, all the early early season narratives about the Chiefs being done and being finished they're probably the favorites to go from the the Super Bowl from the AFC side now given the way things are going it's not quite where it needs to be but it's getting there and for the Chargers they'll be a fun playoff team they'll probably lose a wild card game like 37 36 or something it kind of feels like this is where this team is at that they're going to score lots of points but at the other end they're just they're just not strong enough to compete at the top end defensively yeah <clears throat> no it was good it's good and like I said I just also the stress because I think you mentioned by Ronan there there were moments in this game where Pat Mahomes completely whiffed on things which were just weird because overall very good performance but also like the 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 the, the fourth down uh, one that was the turnover where he just completely missed through at a completely wide open I think it was Demarcus Robinson so he could well have just been in the wrong place but like you know it was just uh, there was a couple of small mistakes that if they were if they can tighten those up it'll make a huge difference uh Move it forward. Uh, next up, Green Bay at Baltimore. This one, 31 to 30, had no business being this close. Uh, Baltimore were down 31 to 17 with 10 minutes left in the game. They came all the way back, made the decision to go for a two-yard conversion, and shit the bed again. Uh, Huntley went just over 200 yards and two touchdowns, but he also put like 70, 80 on the ground and uh, and two touchdowns rushing. Basically, their offense was him and the tight end Mark Andrews, who had two touchdowns as well. This is a very injured Baltimore team. Uh, they did well to pull themselves back into this game. Uh, Rodgers looked fine and efficient, 268, and three touchdowns, mostly touching up with uh, Marquez Valdez scantling on that. A couple of kind of missed red zone opportunities for them, but for the most part, like they just kind of did their job, didn't overdo anything, didn't overly open up their playbook to show too much off. Like, Again, I think they were playing to the fact that it was 31-17 with 10 minutes left and didn't think they needed to do too much and allowed the guys to sneak up on them. And that has happened in one or two Green Bay games this year. They need to maybe keep an eye on it. But um, it was a win they needed to get, and they got it. I am very intrigued to know what your thoughts on this um, two-point conversion stuff is because I know that there was, I think there was 40 seconds left in the game or something along those lines, and there is some degree to which, you know... Like that should play into it. We talked about that situational thing beforehand. That like, surely you tie up the game. And you say right, you guys work it into field goal range if you want to win and not go to overtime. Versus, we'll try and make a two point conversion on the off chance that like you're going to make it in and be able to win. Like I I I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, and normally I'm a big advocate of going for the win there, but I don't like it there in that spot. I. I would defend John Harbaugh here. I mean, I I think the decision to go for two against the Steelers was. The bad, a bad decision to make and was based on the fact that he believed he couldn't stop a Ben Roethlisberger-led offense uh, in overtime. But this one makes a little bit more sense because you are talking about Aaron Rodgers. You are talking about a team... I mean, the guy's a master of, like, the... the, the not, not the two-minute drill, but the 30-second drill. I remember what it was like somewhere back in week four or five when they were playing the 49ers and the 49ers were crucified for leaving 35 seconds on the clock because everybody knew Rodgers was just going to go and kick... get them down the field to kick the field goal. You're in a very tough spot here because... If you kick the if you kick the extra point, tie the game. Rogers going to have at least one shot to win the game, and possibly two if if he wins the the coin toss for overtime. Versus if you actually get the two point conversion, then Rogers essentially has only that one shot. That if he either succeed, he either gets down the field, kicks the field goal, and you lose anyway, or he doesn't and you win. So I can kind of see 
kind of in terms of the thinking about the, the, the game situation, there makes a certain amount of sense. You also do have the momentum. You've scored 13 points non, non-stop. You're, you're, you're looking, Tyler Huntley's looking quite good. Everything's kind of clicking together. I can, I can definitely understand the decision to go for two here to try and give yourself the, most, the biggest chance to win this game. But they just didn't execute, but that, what happens? I mean, I thought it was overall quite an impressive offensive performance by the Ravens, given that given the situation they were in and given that the Baltimore offense has been very up and down all season. I thought they're up against a pretty good defense. Tyler Huntley is quite inexperienced, although he looks quite good. Um, Andrews is developing into the into the number one target guy. That They were getting the ball down the field. They had the ball down the field a few times and didn't kind of turn it into points and stuff so there was i mean i think they were in this game even if the if the scoreboard didn't suggest they were in this game um right up until the end but ultimately they just they just weren't good enough to to beat the packers and i mean with the packers it's it's this ominous feeling i'm getting they're just going to win it all they they are literally the only team that looks to be on this level on both sides of the ball that obviously rogers for all i hate him for the vaccination immunization crap and the you know his big lebowski um kind of uh, persona thing that he's doing at the moment i mean he's playing at such a high level you can see he's really locked in and their defense is actually quite good i mean it's it's not you know top five but it's certainly top 10 and they're definitely competitive against the best offenses in the league and they will make teams against them work to get points they're going to be very hard to stop especially if they have home field advantage um, which they now look like due to the injuries as I've talked about they're going to get so I think it's going to be very hard to stop the Packers getting the Super Bowl and I think it's going to be very hard to stop the Packers winning the Super Bowl uh, and I just get that ominous feeling this season is going to be all about Aaron Rodgers and, and it's going to make me sick because the guy you know disregarded important health and safety protocols and put other people at risk and all this kind of shit and he didn't seem to care about it and it pisses me off but he is at the moment, probably the best player in the NFL, and he's leading a team that looks well set to win. Um, for the Ravens, they're in a scrap. I mean, they may not even make the playoffs, which is just ridiculous. Given it talks about the AFC North is such a weird division. Every team is really good, but also not good enough. Um, and uh, I still think they'll probably end up winning the division, um, but they could easily end up out of the playoffs entirely. Um, especially the longer Lamar stays out. Because Tyler Huntley is good, but he's not Lamar good. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in terms of that. But I trust I trust John Harbaugh. I, I think he knows what he's doing. I think they've got good coaching, and that'll get him over the hump uh, in the last few weeks of the season. And I think you put your fingers on something really important there. Because I think objectively, you're right, Green Bay are probably the top team in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is having another MVP-level uh, season. But there's a certain arrogance laziness i don't know what you want to call it in the lafleur era where you know we've seen them lose games inexplicably randomly when they've come into the playoffs and come against teams that kind of play more hard-nosed football they've you know come undone and you know they've never managed to make that jump in the lafleur era to obviously making the making the super bowl winning a super bowl and obviously with aaron Rodgers and the quality of the squad that is basically what they're looking to do and the arrogance in this game kind of comes across in two, on both sides of the ball. On the offensive side, like they dominated for, for long periods of this game and they seem to have things more or less in hand. But I think as Connor alluded to, towards the end of this game, when they wore up, they went very, very conservative. Um, they just ran the ball continuously with AJ Dillon and basically... You know, we didn't even see the flashes we've seen in, in similar situations for Aaron Rodgers, like a, you know, a, like a quick slant to uh, Devontae Adams or similar. And, you know, when the Ravens did a fairly good job of shutting down Devontae Adams, besides the, despite the fact that, um, you know, they're so shorthanded, particularly in their secondary, um, you know, there's just a little bit something off there. You know, they have just in too many games allowed the other team to come back into it by not 
been willing to push it a little bit further and kill games off. And maybe to some extent that reflects that Aaron Rodgers is playing injured and they don't want to you know, make him do any more, any more than he needs to do um, and ensure the toe is kept as healthy as possible. But it's just a little bit worrying because when we get into the big games um, which Green Bay will almost certainly be involved with those are the margins that matter but on the defense I think this was just a complete schematic failure uh, by Joe Barry and this Green Bay defense to allow Tyler Huntley um, to make this comeback because Tyler Huntley yes he shows flashes of promises he's obviously a very good athlete and you know he's obviously able to pass to Mark Andrews <laughs> and able to do it more successfully it feels like Lamar than Lamar recently who's been throwing more interceptions by doing that but I think you know there's two secrets basically therefore to stopping Tyler Huntley and that is to contain and to cover Mark Andrews and it didn't it felt like Green Bay were incapable of doing either if you kept Tyler Huntley in the pocket and you double covered uh, Mark Andrews and you forced him to pass it to people like Bateman or or Hollywood Brown basically he wasn't able to do anything and you know with Lamar recently certainly early in the year though very much not so much in recent weeks. You know, there at least was the threat of the deep ball that you had to pay some respect to it. But with Tyler Huntley and the way this offense is playing, I don't think that really existed. So for me, personally speaking, I don't think there's any excuse for a defense that we rate that has a lot of talent at all, every level type of comeback to have occurred. So I think if you're a Green Bay fan, yes, you get the win. Yes, you're obviously the best team in the NFL on paper and objectively based on your play. But there's just something a little bit fragile, arrogant, lazy about this team that I don't like and which might get exposed once again in the playoffs. As for Baltimore, they're the exact opposite. They're a team that is carrying an injury-ravaged roster, obviously starting with Lamar, but their secondary and their pass rush is completely devastated at this point through injury. And yet, thanks to John Harbaugh and the culture that he creates there, and a culture which emphasizes the fact that this is a game for adults, where the players are trusted to, to do what's required to win games, they seem to stay in games that they have no right to stay in. They always believe that they have a chance in any game, in any situation, and they play right down to the bitter end. And while you know they're doing that, and I assume it won't, you know, because of that, they won't be too affected by this, it does have to be a little bit of a question that you know, two situations um, where they could have won those games and obviously being the number one seed uh, against Pittsburgh and now here against Green Bay with those two-point conversions that it might wear a little bit on the players that maybe you can trust the defense considering how much it did in the in the fourth quarter here. You know, put a little bit more faith in them and not consider them to be a busted flush just because of all the injuries. You know, this is a team that the defense is overperforming given what's happened to them. Maybe give them one shot if you come into a similar situation going down the stretch. Next up, New England, Indianapolis, 17-27. to This game was all indie all the time for the first half, at least. Uh, they gave him a Tissero medicine, as they just said. You know what? We're just going to run the ball. Uh, Taylor went for 170 yards and a touchdown. Ken kills just the New England comeback as they went from down 17 at the half to it being three-point game late. Uh, he broke through, went for a 67-yard or so touchdown uh, just around the two-minute warning and kind of stopped any chance of them coming back. It was built entirely in the first half on Indy's defence and special teams they had two interceptions uh, they had a block punt TD and they were kind of just all over the shop and causing issues for Mac who at the end of has an okay stat line just shy of 300 yards two touchdowns and two interceptions um, those two touchdowns coming to uh, Hunter Henry who had his you know the, the the tactical he'll have whatever it is isn't it normally three or four healthy games a year where he looks really really good and then is a little bit banged up and just doesn't really perform the rest of it he went 77 and two touchdowns um but yeah indianapolis were just able to keep everything else limited in front of them new england take a bad loss there indianapolis showed that they do have a bit more backbone than we thought and particularly for my ability to believe in indianapolis they gave me a solid taste of do you know what we can do this without ever really having to worry on the quarterback worry about our own quarterback play and that 
gives me a sense of uh, better belief in them uh, that they don't need to rely on their quarterback play because I still don't trust it. Yeah, this is my big takeaway from terms of the Colts is that you're getting the sense that Frank Reich and the, the Colts coaching are beginning to learn that that uh, Carson Wentz is a liability and you don't you can't trust him in big situations and you have a phenomenal running back talent so just give him the ball all the time I think the first drive here they, they went kind of past early and it was just a mess and from that point on when okay we'll give up on that we'll just we'll just focus on the run and, and Taylor had a phenomenal game he's a, he's an amazing talent and would be a worthy MVP if, if he keeps this uh, up uh, the Colts look good on on so they look good offensively they also look quite good defensively it's an aggressive kind of turnover based situation very impressive performance they pulled out they are looking quite good all around and if they keep this up of keeping the ball in taylor's hand rather than carson wentz they could be dangerous they're not out of their division yet either which is something to say given how big a lead the titans had at one point um so very interesting uh, to see how the things work out for the colts for the pats i mean i would be the first to say the pats fans did not expect this team to be nine and four going into this game given how the season starts but I think we saw the true limits of this team in this game. We saw that they're not quite the finished article yet, that their their defense, the defense is explosive, but they have to execute. There were a lot of missed opportunities defensively, missed interceptions, stuff like that. It was, this was a game of execution, and they didn't execute what they needed to do. Uh, offensively, uh, I mean, the team is not quite, it's not great offensively. It's not an offensively based, based team. Mac Jones still making rookie mistakes. He had one, he did one of those classic don't, throw the ball across the, the, the field thing yeah. that you're not supposed to do. Uh, he did one of those. He got away with it. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing that he's still making those kind of mistakes. So, it's, you know, there's still a work in progress. It's interesting the Pats are generally better in the second half. Uh, in almost all games, I've seen them be much better in the second half than the first half, which means the coaching adjustments are obviously at a very high level. They essentially won this second half 17-10, which kind of shows that they are capable of overcoming their player deficiencies with good coaching. But and the situation is, uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how far this team goes um, next week against the Bills. It's going to be very interesting. But, I mean, it, it's fun to watch this team develop. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to be happy if they make the playoffs, if they have a good run in the wild card or whatever. I'm not expecting to go very deep because I don't think this team is relying too much on their defense working out every single week. Uh, and, I mean, it's a lot of things to ask for, and it probably isn't going to happen. And this offense, especially in the red zone, when they get close to the end zone, just kind of stops figuring out how to how to progress the ball. Um, so, yeah, a learning, curve, a learning curve for the Pats. But these kind of games is how a team learns, facing a good team and just not being good enough to beat them. Yeah, and there's also, realistically, there's not that many teams in the NFL that has this kind of level of run game. Like, maybe Tennessee once, once Henry is back and so on. But, like, this is... Having a player like Taylor to lean on is definitely something that seems to help against new england uh, although again like we said they kind of relied on that because they don't really have the you know the faith in their own pass game to try and try that against them so we'll see how that materializes in later games against them tennessee at pittsburgh 13 to 19 oh good god this is fucking yeah uh, pittsburgh's defense did a lot here three fumbles and interception couple of turnovers on downs four sacks four tackles for the loss uh, as we watched big ben just re-solidify again that he should not be playing anymore 148 yards the rush attack was 35 yards and 2.1 yards of carry this was not very good uh, tennessee were scoreless in the second half with four turnovers to end the game i believe at one point they had a nine play passage of game where they turned the ball over three times in nine plays which is just horrifying Tannehill re-solidifying my belief in him coming into the season 150 
63 yards in the interception. He's not very good. Um, poor again to fight decent rushing game. They're actually getting a lot of work done on the ground, uh, even without Henry being there. They were averaging nearly five yards a carry. Their defense is doing okay as well. Three sacks, five tackles for a loss. Like this was, you know, everything else around it was actually working. So if the running game is working and the defense is working and they are getting turnovers, uh, one, this is a game they should win, but two, does this mean maybe that there's a bigger loss from the missing some of the wide receiver weapons or just not being able to get the performance out of Tannehill? Because, like, if you closed your eyes and you said, three sacks by 200 yards allowed and we're running for 200 yards on the ground you got to imagine that's a winning formula for the Tennessee Titans look like Ryan Tannehill is in a difficult situation you're missing your top weapon AJ Brown uh, Julio Jones went out early in this game and uh, wasn't even targeted before that. He obviously was playing hurt. So you're relying on guys like Chester Rogers and Nick Westbrook-Akine uh, to be your top wide receivers. And you're not really using them much anyway and you're passing to the, the running backs and you're passing to the tight ends and stuff like that. I, I get that. But if you're in that situation and you're against a team whose offense basically can do nothing for vast stretches of this game... Your number one, number two, and number three priority should be avoiding big turnovers. Avoiding allowing the Pittsburgh defense to dominate this game. And Ryan Tannehill completely and comprehensively failed to do that in this game. They had an absolutely disastrous second half, which started with a couple of punts. Okay, you can live with that. But then the next, the, the final set of drives were fumble, interception, fumble, Downs. Like one of those fumbles isn't on Ryan Tannehill, but everything else you can basically put squarely at his feet. He failed to do the one thing he has to do in this game, which is to not give Pittsburgh Steel opportunities, not let uh, TJ Watt and Joe Hayden and Mika Fitzpatrick have their way and make big plays and allow them to win games, which is the only way really Pittsburgh have managed to win games against teams that are you know above average most of this season. And so it's just yeah, you just have to like if he if he had to be conservative, if he had to just take a few more sacks or you know just pass it out to the running backs more whatever just you know just don't make these type of mistakes and just two way often this year Tannehill has been doing that he's been turning the ball over he has not been clean he has to clean that up if they're gonna have any chance of doing stuff in the playoffs and uh, without Derrick Henry having to go for 200 yards every game and you know when the rush attack is still working you know 4.8 yards to carry 200 yards when the defense is working solidly against obviously not a very impressive Steelers offense that goes doubly so like you had no excuse for this and Tannehill huge questions there about him as the franchise quarterback after having a very solid couple of years uh, to get that contract in the first place on the other hand you have Pittsburgh as we said basically leaning completely on their defense to get win this game you know four turnovers one additional turnover on downs you know and TJ Watt basically playing out of his mind one and a half sacks uh, a few tackles for loss as well um, and he was basically hitting it felt Ryan Tannehill at will uh, but you know, the offense was pathetic in this. Now, Tennessee have a good rush, de rush defense, so obviously you can't use uh, Najee Harris to kind of give some space for Ben, Big Ben to get going. Uh, but like Big Ben, he is completely busted. We've seen just like slight flashes that maybe he would have a kind of resurgence at the end of the year because he's coming up to the end of his uh, end, of the end of his like life in the NFL. But he was really, really difficult to watch. And I think, you know, the most emblematic 
situation or, or like idea of where Big Ben is in his career is like when they had his one touchdown, which was just to QB sneak, where it required two QB sneaks. Both, to be honest, equally pathetic and sad looking as each other. But, you know, when you literally have to get one yard, he was just about capable of getting that done. And he got that touchdown that way. He avoided turning the ball over, unlike his compatriot, Ryan Tannehill. And what his defense was doing was enough for that to, uh, you know, get away with that effectively. But for Tennessee, you know, they have a game against the Texans in Week 18. They're almost certainly going to the playoffs. But, you know... They had a chance here because the, the rest of their schedule isn't even that tough. 49ers, Dolphins, both winnable enough games. if Not easy, but winnable. Um, but this really takes them out of it, and they're likely to be playing a dead rubber in Week 18. Um, so if you're a Tennessee fan, you have to be ruining that a little bit, uh, but obviously hoping that the return of A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, and maybe Julio Jones getting healthier by being rested a bit can get them back on track. But uh, yeah, Ryan Tannehill is, has been the problem all the season, and that's only been more brutally exposed as we've got on, and those pieces have been missing for so long. Yeah, and I know I have to say this because you always look like a fool for counting against uh, King Henry, but realistically, at a certain point, you have to stop relying on a guy you're giving 450 carries a season to. Um, That can't last forever, and that will be the end of the running back and the quarterback tandem that have been the kind of the spike of success the last couple of years. New Orleans at Tampa Bay, odd one, 9-0. New Orleans continue the proof that... Tom Brady just doesn't know how to beat them, at least in the regular season. Uh, Tom went for 26 of 48, 200 yards, an interception and a fumble, uh, and was absolutely battered into the ground in his first shutout since 2006. Um, Yeah, the New Orleans defense were great. Interception, four sacks, seven QB hits. They were pressuring on 25% of everything. Like, it was just madness. And then add in missed field goals, two turnovers. Like... Tampa Bay just didn't really stand a chance in this at all. Um, they weren't help with the injuries throughout the game. Their players are going out. As we mentioned at the start of this, they've got loads of their loads of their um, weapons are, 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 are banged up now. So are an awful lot of their pieces of sideline technology because Tom Brady doesn't like it when things don't go his way and decided to smash some tablets on the side of it. Uh, he was frustrated, and I would be as well, looking at how this went for them. Hill was like shite but enough to get nine points and that was enough to get the wind on hill got 154 yards and uh 33 on the ground stayed safe callaway put up 112 yards it was fine but it was just the defense the defense were able to get them done like like i said nine points shouldn't win a game particularly not against this juggernaut of the nfc in tampa bay but uh there's just something about new orleans they just know how to frustrate tom brady they know how to play him well um and yeah it's a big big surprise and it does bode ill for tampa bay with all the weapons missing um for is like is is what this towards the back end with the weapons missing is that what it's going to look like down the line if they don't get pieces back or was that a combination of those pieces missing and also just that new orleans know how to play tom brady yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting game in terms of trying to think about what it means for, for especially on the Tampa Bay side. For, I mean, for New Orleans, defense was great. Cameron Jordan, great game. They definitely know how to get to Tom Brady, but their offense is just not good enough for them to really make any impact on the playoffs. So I don't really think we should talk about them too much here. 
in terms of the Bucks, I mean, they've got to be really worried. I mean, it's it's not just the injuries, and the injuries are going to hurt them because this team has no depth. I mean, this is the consequences of your policy of let's just re-sign our 22 starters and just hope that none of them get injured for an entire season, which basically seems to have been their strategy this year because we've already seen their secondary depth is basically non-existent, and now we're finding out that their, their wide receiver depth isn't quite what it wants to be. And you worry the further down this goes and the more into the kind of the tough part of the year they go, the more this team may just start to fall apart. And Tom Brady can't actually do it all um, as much as he might like to, to believe he can and as much as other people might like to believe he can. So there is there's a, the injuries are a problem. The lack of depth is a problem. Um, but there's also, I mean, they, they were being stifled even before the injuries racked up. I mean, they were being figured out a little bit. And you would wonder, I mean, this is the thing. Every team the Bucks are going to play for the rest of the season and all of their potential playoff opponents are going to be studying the videotape of this game and being like, how do we replicate this? How do we do the thing that's being done here? Um, and, and figure out how to get at them. Because now there is, there is this team, when it's on form, 30 points a game, but it's kind of, I mean, it hasn't been... It's kind of dropping off very slowly over the last few weeks, and this is kind of the, the, the point of disaster. I mean, the big problem with the books going down the line is if you have to rely on people like, say, Gronk being a big part of your offensive game, which kind of happened in the third quarter here. He kind of became the guy that Brady started to throw to all the time. It's not 2011 Gronk. He's not the guy who can make you 10, 12 catches a game and get you down the field. He's at three or four big plays a game kind of guy. He's your he's your uh, end zone guy. He's your big third down in the red zone kind of guy. He's not he's not a main target because he's going to get tired. He's going to drop passes. He's going to get hurt because people get keep hitting him. He's not the player he was and he needs to be used sparingly. And the problem is when you lose the pieces around him that allow that strategy to be used, you not only do you lose the injured players, but you now lose the the ability of players like Gronk to slot into the roles that, that were assigned um, to them. So they've got a lot of things to figure out the Bucks. This is going to be an embarrassment. Um, the, the worry, of course, is that if they end up the second seed, they may end up playing the Saints in the playoffs again because it looks like the Saints might be able to sneak in to the seventh slot. So that could be a very fun, uh, well, maybe not fun if it ends up being another 9-0, but an interesting uh, wildcard game um, to watch. But the Bucks, I imagine the Bucks coaching are, are very worried about this game because this was a disaster from start to finish and when you have the best player in history as your quarterback and you can't score any points then something has gone very very wrong and they need to figure it out quickly because there's not that much time left in the season to figure it out yeah and finally cincinnati at denver 15 to 10 cincinnati kind of grind out an important win to keep their playoff hopes alive and it was mostly the defense that did it burrow was fine but like you know we're talking 150 odd yards and a touchdown kind of avoids too many mistakes against what is a fairly talented defensive in, in, in Denver. Um, and they kind of hammered the run, even though it wasn't going anywhere. Like they ran up 20 times. It went for less than a hundred yards. Um, yeah. Like Boyd was fine. Up nearly a hundred and a touchdown. It was, it was, it was fine. Like the thing is they were playing a, look, it's a strong defense at Denver, but the overall team is not that good. Teddy Bridgewater was there for like, a while got about 100 yards and then was knocked out then drew Locke came in completed 50 percent of his passes threw a touchdown but also fumbled a ball like a very very drew lock like performance to be honest um but yeah like it was just it's a good win i understand they have to sometimes win games like this particularly when you're kind of sensing you don't have that kind of pedigree you're not used to it and stuff and you have to kind of gut check it out sometimes but this 
feels like a game they should have won by more and it feels like they should have been able to do more in it if this is a team that's going to do anything with a playoff berth if it manages to get there you'd want to see them do better than just kind of squeeze by a Denver team on their backup quarterback um that said look they did it their defense played pretty well in this spot um like you take the win and it's quite important for them but i just i i'm just not convinced by it in the way that i was by some of their earlier season performances yeah but like context is important here firstly they're coming off a two-game skid they're obviously very very reticent to kind of make obvious mistakes and give this broncos team a lot of oxygen because like we all understand that this broncos team is incredibly limited with teddy bridgewater they are a functional it's probably an optimistic way of discussing an offense. Yeah. With Drew Locke, they are a completely, you know, shit show, scattershot, don't really work at all. He is just incredibly inaccurate, makes a lot of throws and isn't very, he doesn't have very good pocket awareness and the fumble obviously is a testament to that. Um, he managed to finish off this drive with a nice touchdown to Tim Patrick, but Tim Patrick did a, a lot of the work himself, to be fair, like, like kind of trundling over a, a defensive back and the running game had been so effective on that drive up to that point that obviously he's getting, you know, a fairly uh, loose coverage uh, compared to what Teddy B was getting. Uh, but for Cincinnati, like, look, the, I think, you know they they were they were grinding this game out. They were nine to three up early in the second half, and then like the the te- te- Denver have that Teddy B injury, but they managed to finish that drive and get a touchdown. And you kind of go, okay, Denver. You know they love grinding the ball. They're obviously very effective at running the ball, um, and they were too bad running the ball here around four yards a carry. Um, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon kept in check by Cincinnati. They were obviously making a point of trying to keep those guys from being dominant and getting off the big runs, but they were still quite effective at grinding it out. Um, but then I think you saw the big difference here between the teams, which is that while Denver only have really the grind it out um, strategy then like uh, Cincinnati do have Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow when he's unleashed can create explosive plays and that proved to be the difference on the touchdown drive here where it was a big uh, bomb uh, effectively to uh, Tyler Boyd 56 yards which accounts for over half of the yards he had in the total game um, Tyler Boyd um, and that ended up being the big difference because uh, Denver would fumble the ball on their next drive which which might have gone somewhere um, we might have got them some points and, and kind of got them back in this game and then there was some additional football um, best described as futile uh, but uh, the fourth quarter basically uh, for all intents and purposes kind of just disappeared after that into a, a, a dirge of nothingness um, so I think for Cincinnati, given what had happened the last couple of weeks, losing those games, getting a win was the number one priority. And I think I talked about this in the preview. They played their games close to their chest, even though they weren't as effective running the ball as uh, Denver. Joe Mixon was kind of very much held in check and P. Ryan was fine in change of spot, change duty. But, you know, I think you see the difference that having a Joe Burrow has over a Teddy Bridgewater or a Drew Locke. It can make the difference in these games. You can play safe because you know that if you go behind, which they did here, you do, you will have chances to come back. That doesn't mm-hmm. exist for a team like Denver. And that's why Cincinnati, despite all of their flaws, despite all of their issues, I still trust that they could perhaps be a factor if they make the playoffs against some of these other better teams in the AFC. No, of course. And on that lovely note, we will move over to the dump-off where we'll let uh, Fitz, let's see if you can get some yardage on the on the rest of these because they don't look like they're going anywhere. <laughs> well, dump-offs, uh, they, they've had limited, limited success at times, but they were a lot better this week for the Detroit Lions because they had the shock victory of the week, 12-30 win over the Arizona Cardinals, the uh, you know putative number one seed only a couple of weeks ago. Detroit absolutely dominated them. Like the 
touchdown at the end kind of like puts a bit of shine on, the, on Arizona, but they were held pointless uh, in the first half and didn't really look that much better in the second half, except that the, you know Detroit you know weren't playing as tough. Um, but like, how did Detroit win this game? Well, it seemed to be a, a kind of a hopeful template for the next season of Detroit Lions football. They ran the ball really well, despite the fact that it's like Craig Reynolds. Um, who is just a guy that was you know, non-existent a couple of weeks ago and who was just signed to the roster this week after having a really good season off the practice squad last week. Uh, he had over 100 yards. They were running it really well. That offensive line is a fearsome unit, which is a huge thing that they can build around going forward. And Goff looked like the Jared Goff that we know from the Rams days, where if the play action is working, if the run game is working, he can be a somewhat effective quarterback. And he had three touchdowns here, around 200 yards. And the play action was just the key there. Um, probably most uh, uh, most uh, best shown uh, by the touchdown to Amon St. Brown that kind of pulled them ahead early in this game. And he had a lot of catches and stuff, but that was probably the highlight for him. And he's turning into a effective weapon for Detroit. It's not going to blow you away or get you like super excited, but a really good offensive line, running the ball well, using play action. There's a template there to get wins. And in this case, against an Arizona defense, which um, obviously has a few injuries, but hasn't exactly been you know, slow pokes either um, throughout this season. On the other hand, the Detroit defense seemed to just really get under the skin of Kyler Murray after, you know, and, and building on the issues that Kyler had last week against the Rams he just looked way out of form just very scattershot uh, very inaccurate especially early in this game he kind of turned it around a little bit in the second half getting that touchdown around 250 yards in total with the interception but you know 50% accuracy approximately just very very worrying if you're an Arizona Cardinals fan given what we saw earlier this year and just like we know that Arizona are a team of chaos but it feels like the you know cards are coming up the wrong way in recent weeks and you know that division itself could very much be in, is very much in jeopardy now if they continue to play this way uh, for the Lions hey another win let's see if they can be a bit of a you know berserker down the, the down the path, down the stretch to run and you know, ruin a few seasons next up Vegas at Cleveland 16 to 14 win the Vegas Raiders are bailed out by a 48-yard walk-off Carlson field goal as Carr very, very lucky to get a second chance after throwing a late pick that seemed to have sealed the win for Cleveland, but they went three and out on their final drive, running the ball three times, playing very conservatively, and Carr, you know, in the notes afterwards is saying, that just give me one more chance and I'll, I'll make it up to you, and he just about managed to do so. Um, but this was a, a Vegas team which isn't really dealing with that many, well, except for the injuries and, and, and suspensions and other things that have happened. You know, they're not really dealing with stuff while Cleveland are were basically absolutely ravaged by COVID-19, uh, missing pretty much all of their secondary, missing Jarvis Landry and having to play Nick Mullins, a quarterback uh, who was basically on someone else's practice squad only a week ago. To be fair to Mullins, he played admirably, 150 yards and a touchdown, uh, played within himself, didn't, just basically was told, don't make mistakes and just play play safe. And does that make sense? Because Kevin Stefanski wasn't even at this game because he had COVID-19 and they were playing with their backup, uh, you know, with an interim head coach. Um, and they relied on Chubb, who was four yards to carry, fine. Um, but I think, you know, it's a testament to Cleveland that they're a tough, hard-nosed team that they managed to drag themselves back because they had a pretty poor first half all, all, all things intended zero points I believe and you know their defense showed up the run game worked Nick Mullins played okay um, they were doing everything they could to drag this you know half a roster over the line and beat a pretty pathetic Vegas team 
but unfortunately in the end just not quite enough and Vegas just about escaping the dog pound with a win and yes very much an escape uh, for a team that you know we don't trust at all at the moment uh, Cleveland still in it because of the AFC North but definitely a huge hit to their chances this could have been a huge win put them on top of the division now they're fourth and very much looking on the outside in um, next up, uh, Seattle at the Rams, 10 to 20. Um, the Rams are basically bailed out by Cooper Cup again, 136 yards, two touchdowns. His second touchdown in particular, um, great anticipation between him and Stafford and kind of split the safeties. Um, very, very impressive overall. Uh, but, you know, he had to do that because the first half of this Rams team was uh, both not very impressive and also had a number of mistakes, uh, two turnovers that they will definitely regret. Uh, but, you know, they get away with it because the Seattle's offense right now is absolutely pathetic. Um, you know, they were being kept alive effectively by how poor the Rams were. You know, they got an early lead, a lead early in the second half, but didn't, didn't do anything for the rest of the game. Like, Russell Wilson was awful, let's be honest, and he had... Uh, one, you know, a number of, of, of missed attempts, probably the most prominent being a under-thrown ball to DK Metcalf that Jalen Ramsey was beat on and was able to make up. Obviously, Ramsey's a really good player, but if Russell Wilson was playing at the level we know he had, that was always going to be a big play. Uh, but, like, to be fair, um, he didn't have Tyler Lockett because of the COVID-19 situation, that unfortunate situation where uh, the Rams were helped a lot by having the game delayed and the Seattle Haw Seahawks were hurt by it. Um, so a lot of things going in Seattle, including a few dodgy calls in the refs as well, uh, particularly that PI call in on their final drive. Very questionable overall that that wasn't called. But, uh, you know, if their offense had been even okay, it, then they wouldn't have had to worry about such things and they would have won anyway. But in the end... Uh, the Rams just managed to escape and get a vital win that puts them right back in the NFC West hunt and Seattle are basically dead uh, for this season. Next up, Washington of Philly, 17-27. to um, We said to Philly all season, keep running the ball. They took our advice against a very poor Washington run defense. 238 yards, two touchdowns, over 100 at the Miles Sanders, two of the touchdowns for, for Jalen Hurts. And Hurts was okay in the passing game as well, especially with Dallas Goddard who had a 135 yards and a couple of other nice throws. Um, I think one to Greg Ward stands out for Hurts. Two turnovers, not great early on, but uh, you know Washington had that brief fill up from those turnovers early on, but after that basically just disappeared into ether. And they were playing Garrett Gilbert at, at quarterback, another situation where COVID-19 had absolutely ravaged his team. Their entire defense was ravaged as well. And yeah, basically once Philly got back in control and were able to run the ball again, um, it never looked like a contest and an easy win for Philly and puts them in a very good position to compete for that wildcard spot. Next up, Minnesota and uh, Chicago, another wildcard relevant game. Minnesota win this game, I suppose, uh, but no one won who actually watched the game because this was very uninspiring and basically had to rely a lot on the Chicago Bears kicking themselves in the face again and again because Fields had oh, nearly 300 yards and he had a touchdown to kind of make himself look better literally at the fast last play of the game. Um, but outside those flashes poor and fourth downs they were zero and three in conversions and the ball was in his hands three fumbles a missed field goal nearly 100 yards in flags it just seemed like minnesota vikings didn't have to do anything and they very duly did nothing um because they you know Kirk Cousins had less than 100 yards. He had two touchdowns, which is nice, but nothing outside that. Cook was held under 100 yards by three yards to carry, as Hakeem Hicks was busy literally trying to, you know, single-handedly keep Chicago in this game. But, yeah, just all of those self-imposed mistakes from Chicago allowed Minnesota to dump around their head and just be boring and dumb, uh, but managed to get this game and continue their destiny to the wildcard spot uh, with a very important, if utterly forgettable, win. And next up, Atlanta, San Francisco, 13-31. to 31. San Francisco take a very tight grip on that second wildcard spot by kicking away the 
pretenders that are the Atlanta Falcons. There was an early wobble here, but after that, basically Jimmy G got connected with George Kittle again, albeit only for 100 yards this time rather than 150. Uh, and uh, Jeff Wilson uh, have 100 yards rushing the ball. And basically their defense dominated this game outside the first quarter. Um, Ryan, he had a touchdown, nearly 250 yards, but uh, Patterson was the focus of the San Francisco defense and they effectively completely smothered him. He had under, uh, he had only 23 yards and their defense was bullied off the field by the rush attack of the uh, San Francisco 49ers. I said to them last week, prove to us that you're a, con- a, contend- a contender, not a pretender, by taking care of Atlanta. They duly did. Um, I think you could be a little bit afraid uh, of facing San Francisco on wildcard weekend, which I think they almost certainly will be in at this point. Next up, Carolina Buffalo, 14-31. Buffalo get back on track over, over a very tepid Carolina team. Allen was clean, 210 yards, three touchdowns, an interception, but we can forgive that. And they ran the ball a lot with Singletary, too. Fairly good gains, 22 uh, carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. And I think they very much seemed to shut down the passing attack for large parts of the second half, just to see that if they could run the ball against a relatively good Carolina defensive front. And it seemed that they were okay at it. Um, and that was doable because the Carolina offense basically is completely non-existent. Like Cam had two touchdowns and about 200 something yards if you count his rushing yards as well as well as passing, but. Very inaccurate, not really seeing the field, making a lot of mistakes. Just looks like the busted cam we've seen for the last few years. And a solid Carolina defense is going to waste here. Um, but for Buffalo, back on track. Bigger tests ahead, obviously, next week being the uh, the main course, as it were. Uh, next up, Dallas at the Giants, 21-6. to Dallas had to lean on their defense here again to win a game. Um, they had four turnovers and two turnovers and downs um, as uh Demarcus Lawrence kind of led the line and he's been improved since coming back from injury getting better every week and if you combine that with Michael Parsons that is a very scary unit but if you're a Cowboys fan you have to be worried that Dak had another very mediocre day 217 yards a touchdown but also a fumble and the offense is just struggling Zeke looks poor a f- number of drops by both Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb and the only thing that really seemed to get exciting in this game was uh, Tony Pollard who had a few nice slicing runs but I don't think they had any plays over uh, 30 yards in this game and for a team that we expect to be explosive that's a bit of an issue but you know they're playing the Giants three interceptions from Glennon he was pulled for Jake from that gives you an idea of where they are right now Saquon was poor 15 for 50 yards and a fumble and was basically played by Devontae Booker like their D is okay it's not the worst defense in the league by far but uh, you know with an offense that bad doesn't really make a difference the Giants sliding into nothingness and perhaps big decisions to be made there in the offseason uh, next up the Jets at Miami 24 to 31 Miami get their sixth straight win albeit again and perhaps not the most impressive style the Jets started brightly again and yet once again seemed to fade away into nothingness um, they had a lot of trick plays and they got a, a turnovers early on to kind of get the lead to a lead uh, but that faded away as Wilson just looks poor once those scripted plays early on are, are depleted um, and he just looks kind of lost and big question marks there about him as a franchise quarterback uh, but to be fair this is a very talent stripped squad on both sides of the ball Tua overcame his very early mistakes and a pick six late on that let Jets back in and make this game seem reasonable but you know Duke Johnson looked good 170 yards and two touchdowns and he did enough to complement that and not fuck up too many times after the early mistakes and the Miami get another grinding win now playoff relevant but they still to me seem more like a pretender let's be honest
And finally, the probably least relevant game of the week, Houston at Jacksonville, 30-16. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars' woes continue in the post-Meyer era, as Davis Mills has a solid game against the 200 yards and two touchdowns, though an interception as well. And he's been solid, backup NFL, a backup level person who will probably be sticking around uh, with the Houston Texans for a few more years uh, and found Brandon Cooks for over 100 yards and two touchdowns um, and just considering he has no offensive line no run game no defense uh, I'll give Davis Mills some credit here uh, on the other hand he basically played uh, I, I played Trevor Lawrence 230 yards another very uninspiring display at least under Bevel they're running the ball with Robinson for 88 yards and a touchdown uh, but overall they just look like a completely lost team particularly on the defense um, very much playing at the year and uh, wholesale changes coming for the Jacksonville Jaguars so that's the uh, dump off for week 15 talk to you next week exciting let's look at next week's games So Thursday Night Football, San Francisco at Tennessee. We've gone for San Francisco across the board. Look, we talked about it in the previews. We talked about it, I think, in the news as well. Tennessee are shorthanded. They have a massive problem at quarterback at the moment, and I'm not sure how that's getting better. San Francisco have been playing decently and are really pushing into the wildcard spot here. Um, it's hard to look past San Fran because, look, I don't I don't love how Garoppolo plays, but he's playing very efficiently at the moment, and he's making sure that he kind of keeps a lock on that San Fran job, and if they make it into the into the postseason, they look like they're, 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 they're going to do. Um, it'll be very hard to move on from him. The big concern for the 49ers in this game is that Tennessee's run defense has probably been the one thing that's been consistently good for the last couple of months. Nearly everything else has been very, very up and down. Um, so if Jeff Wilson or Elijah Mitchell, who might be, who's a, a game-time decision, play and are kept in check and you put the ball on Jimmy Garoppolo, then if his connection to George Kittle doesn't work, um, then this could turn into a very grinding, low-scoring game. And when that situation comes up, then Tennessee have a chance for Tennessee to win this game they also need to avoid those turnovers that ended up being so costly against that Pittsburgh defense. We know that San Francisco have playmakers. They have Fred Warner. Um, they have Bosa on the line, so they could have those big plays from those guys. Um, but I think San Francisco, they're a team in form, a team that seems to be finding themselves, particularly as Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo together with an effective run game is a very um, potent offensive uh you know, mix, but uh, yeah, I think San Francisco have to be favoured, but there is a route to victory for Tennessee. Run the ball well, avoid turnovers, and keep the San Francisco run defence and George Kittle quiet, and you could grind out a win here. Uh, but San Francisco, we like them, they're more fun to watch, let's give them the win. I agree. <laughs> Fair enough. Cleveland and Green Bay have gone for Green Bay across the board. Yeah, unfortunately, Cleveland looked to be slipping away. Uh, injuries unfortunate just not really playing up to their potential and this green day team as we mentioned seems to be in relatively unstoppable form the only plus i suppose is they've already locked up the afc north it, or nfc north um you know it's uh maybe, maybe they go easy on them because they don't need to but uh, i suppose it's very hard to see past past rogers um, at all in this game yeah it's i mean it's the forum the packers are in it's the form Rogers is in. It's the it's the he's doing his big dick move thing. He's he's not gonna he's not gonna put the handbrake on just because they've won a division. He's going all the way, and and I imagine he has the MVP in his sights, and he doesn't want to let that go either. 
Um, the Packers are healthy. They're in form. They're looking good. The Browns are none of those things. They're not healthy. They're not in good form. And they every game is an absolute mess um, the way they're playing at the moment. There is a way you can see the Browns' defense kind of stepping up, having a game like it had earlier in the season, stifling the Packers, punching them in the mouth a bit. We know this Packers team does have this soft underbelly that we've talked about before that you can get at them and, and kind of make them not interested in the fight. You can maybe see that happening, but I mean, it's going to require the Browns offensively to score points, which they have not been doing for a very long time. Um, so it, depending on who's a quarterback, is if it's Baker or if it's Nick Mullins or if it's Case Keenan, one of them is going to have to step up big to keep up with Rodgers because he's going to score points regardless. No matter how good the defense is, they're going to get points on the board and that requires the offense to turn up and I just can't see it happening. Yeah, yeah. The only road to victory is to turn this game into a bar fight in Lambeau. Just on Christmas Day, get get ugly and just get up in their faces. <laughs> and you know, the only present they're getting is a punch in the knives. Uh, otherwise, Green Bay. Yeah, you have to favor them by a lot here. Yeah. Next up is Ronan's pick of the week. Uh, Indianapolis at Arizona. Two big teams, both having interesting looks at the postseason. One on the way up. One maybe on the way down. Yeah, like I think Arizona. You know. They, they've obviously had a tough couple of weeks losing to the Rams, losing to the Detroit Lions, both equally devastating uh, for, for different reasons. And they look like a team that's kind of lost. So they're coming back to Glendale um, and they're trying to figure out the chaos effectively. Like there was so much of the game plan for them that's based around, it feels like improvisation based around Kyler Murray kind of just making stuff happen. And, you know, they don't really disguise much. They just kind of run their stuff and they just let it go. And for large parts of the season, it seemed to work. And even when Colt McCoy was playing for them, it seemed to work for long stretches. But the last, since Kyler Murray's come back, it just hasn't been the same. Um, he hasn't really run, he didn't run the ball at all last week against the kind of poor Detroit uh, defense. I think this is, a, this is if, if you've been holding something back, Arizona, this is the time to let it go. Let like put Kyler at risk. Let him do what's going because the NFC West is very much in jeopardy if you lose this game. And you're coming against a team in Indianapolis that pay tough hard-nosed football we know what indianapolis similar to arizona they they know what they need to do but it just happens to be the complete opposite it is it is order versus chaos it is jonathan taylor running it down your throat 30 times a game um and ripping off the occasional touchdown or two on those long runs it is carson wentz you know holding the ball being reserved for play action and hopefully refusing to do the one or two dumb things that he is prone to do per game and their defense stripping the ball away getting turnovers making the life of every Every ball carrier on the other side hell and Arizona are doing this without DeAndre Hopkins and I think that makes a huge difference not because Hopkins has played playing well this year but simply because Hopkins by his mere presence tends to pull away the elite cornerbacks like the Jalen Ramseys and probably in this game it would have been Kenny Moore but without that you end up with guys like AJ Green being forced to kind of return to being wide receiver ones which they don't look anywhere near being and you're relying on guys like Rondale Moore and Christian Kirk to get those explosive plays to kind of keep things ticking along but that isn't a sustainable way to do things so for me for Arizona I think if they're going to win this game I think they should take a uh, a leaf out of Indianapolis book they have James Connor. They have a Chase Edmonds who came back, and both of them look pretty effective in that game against Detroit, or at least compared to what else was going on on that offense. And maybe if they get 
the 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 play action, uh, the RPO, um, uh, the the run play options. Basically, just keep those going. Allow Kyler outside the pocket, let him run a bit, get those two running backs going, and then keep the pressure off someone AJ Green having to beat in one-on-one coverage. Then there is a route to victory here for Arizona. We saw that they were a really good team earlier in this year. That could still be within them, but it's an Indianapolis team that's getting hot at the right time. That is playing what we would consider to be playoff football. Um, you have to favor them right now, but. Uh, you know, after all that respect I gave Arizona, you know, for them to turn around now and spit in my face by turning into the <laughs> shit, uh, chaos, no, no, uh, no quality side that uh, coaching side I, I always said they were. Um, it's just very annoying at this point. But uh, look, I like the Colts. I picked them last week to beat New England. They, they, they backed me up there. Um, this is a team that if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to be annoyed because this is a team that could very much put the frighteners at any team in the AFC uh, playoff hunt. Sean, Detroit, Atlanta, me and you have gone for Detroit. Fitz has gone for Atlanta. Yeah, I just want to believe. I want to believe the Lions have finally figured it out and that things are getting together and they're, they've actually managed to learn how to win football games because they've been a lot better the last three or four weeks than they were at the start of the season, whereas the Falcons just bore me to tears and it's just it's very okay. uninspiring. You can, you, can, you can say shit. <laughs> No, the the Vikings bore me to shit. The the, the, <laughs> the Falcons only only get as far as tears. That they're they're I will if I have to choose between the Falcons and the Vikings, I would rather watch the Falcons. Um, but yeah, I mean the the Falcons are very uninspiring. They do tend to beat bad teams, but I mean I just I get the sense it's coming together for Dan Campbell and the Lions. Goff is making fewer mistakes. The defense is stepping up a bit. I, I'm 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 just gonna put a, a show of faith in the Lions and think they and they might be able to sneak this one. Yeah, and Atlanta's yeah. not been really on the best of form. Yeah, like, look, I'm I'm basically kind of going, okay, we're believing in Detroit, we're picking Detroit, this is the perfect time to not pick them because they're going to shit the pen again. Um, <laughs> I think they work best as underdogs. Any time that they're even considerably, like, given a chance, like in that game against Philly earlier this season, they've absolutely fallen apart. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Atlanta and hope that I'm wrong. Go for it. Next up, Jacksonville at... At the Jets, I've gone for Jacksonville, and you guys have gone for the Jets. Fits. Uh, this is a side note: Salas tested positive for COVID, so it's going to be tight end coach Rob Middleton who will be calling plays if Salas not out of the protocol by Sunday. Yeah, like look, Jacksonville. Obviously, they've got rid of Urban Meyer. That's a positive. They ran the ball more with James Robinson. That's a positive. But Trevor Lawrence still looked lost. Their defense still looked lost. And for the Jets. It's been very much a Jekyll and Hyde situation for them. They've played well early in games when LeFleur's been able to use a lot of trick plays and presumably scripting up some stuff for Wilson to make his life easier, but they've seemed to fade away in every game they've played recently. But against a Jacksonville team that's been playing so poorly, perhaps they can get up early, they can build that run the ball well with Michael Carter, who's back, uh, and get a win here. Uh, but both these teams are so bad, uh, you know, it's really a coin, coin, coin toss game. Yeah, my only reason for Jacksonville is just that I think um, the Jets guys, they know they're part of like a multi-year rebuild. So they're like, you know, they're selling themselves within the building. I think a lot of Jacksonville players are like, we've got three weeks left to sell ourselves to whoever comes in next or to get ourselves a roster spot somewhere else. I think the next three weeks matter more to the Jacksonville players and to the Jets players. Um, Next up, the Rams at the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, We've gone for the Rams across the board. Why, you ask? Well, because none of us like the Minnesota Vikings, although we can guarantee that this will end up 
it'll be within a score with five minutes left to go. Um, I, I, I don't hate I don't hate the Vikings because I've understood them from the start. They are they are who they are. They're the perfect you know seven seed. Um, now New Orleans are getting spicy, so maybe they don't even get that. But like, look against the Rams team, which is getting hot, which has found a really good identity by running the ball more with Sony Michelle, which is setting up more of the play action, reverting to a certain extent to the Jared Goff era where that play action was so devastating and mixing that in with the kind of more effective Stafford play where he can obviously you know orchestrate the offense from shotgun if he needs to that mix is what I think they needed from the start and to see that come in the last month or so it seems to have made all the difference for them and their defense while it seemed to have a mid-season um kind of fill up uh, like kind of get you know kind of poor during the middle of the season seems to be coming back up building on the kind of elite players they have um so against the Minnesota team which you know, has very much flattered to deceive, except for that Green Bay game win recently. Um, you have to favor the Rams, but it's Minnesota. You never fucking know with them any given week. You know, it'll be yeah. close. They don't do. They don't do blowouts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the Rams. Are, I think they've started to figure things out since the bye week. They're coming together as a team. I mean. Yeah, and the Vikings, I mean, it's just the Vikings are the Vikings or whatever. I mean, I do want to give a shout-out to Kirk Cousins because I didn't get to do it in the game reviews for throwing the worst interception I've ever seen in my entire life against the Bears. <laughs> that, that was quite impressive. There was like there wasn't a receiver within 15 yards of where he threw the ball, which which was quite impressive from him. Keep that up, Kurt, and and, we'll, and you and I will be okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Rams are getting together, and this is the kind of win... I mean, it is going to be close, and it probably is going to go down to a last-minute field goal, but these are the kind of wins you have to get, especially the division has opened up for the Rams, and if they can get home, some sort of home-field advantage for the playoffs, they, they could be very hard to stop. Yeah, no, it should be, uh, should be an interesting one now. Uh, Jets at Philly. We've gone for Philly across Giants. the board. Or sorry, Giants at Philly. Um, doesn't matter. But- We've gone for Philly. Uh, <laughs> like New York, yeah. you're a big place. Get better football teams. What the fuck? Like... Um, yeah, look, Philly have figured out that the trick to success for their team is just to run it the whole time. Their quarterback mm-hmm. can run well. They've got multiple good running backs, or at least, you know, good enough to get yardage uh, for this team running backs. They should have no problem here with the Giants, who are, let's be honest, at the tail end of a season that they'd rather forget, as has probably been true of the last three or four of them. Uh, they haven't had the development they were looking for out of almost any of the players, and there's a lot of discussion about whether or not Saquon Barkley might be traded or out of there anyway after this year as well. So just, yeah, don't bother watching this game. Expect Philly to win by holding the ball for 40 minutes and running a lot. Uh, Buffalo at New England, Sean, this is your pick of the week. Yeah, huge game. Obviously, AFC East on the line. Whoever wins this basically wins a division. Pats won that weather game a few weeks ago. The Bills are going to come back. I, I mean, I love the Pats, but I do feel that maybe teams... That kind of that that seven game winning streak they went on kind of caught everyone off guard, but I think teams are beginning to maybe figure out how to get at them. I mean, the Bills don't have the running game that say the Colts did, so it's going to be harder for them to win. But I think the form that Josh Allen is in, he seems to just be, I'm going to take over this game and I'm going to get it to the playoff because no one else in this team seems to be doing the business, so I'm going to do it. We'll get them over the line. The Bills defense, obviously, I think will handle. The, the Pats offense, because, I mean, I can't see a great deal out of it. I don't think the Pats are going to try and run the ball 45 times this time. Um, I think they might have to rely on Mac Jones throwing a little bit. 46 times. <laughs> yeah, no passes at all, just all runs. Uh, no, I, I think Mac Jones, I mean, I, I I do like him, and he definitely exceeded my expectations, but he's still a rookie, and there are times when you can definitely tell he's a rookie. And these kind of big games, if the if the Pats don't get the lead and don't have a lead they can sit on, it's gonna. you don't want to get into a shootout because you can't rely on this 
Pat's offense to score enough points in a shootout. And if Josh Allen's in the form he's in, then I think the Bills are going to get ahead and then it's going to be very hard for the Pats to keep up. That seems a fair analysis on that one. Uh, yeah, like, I don't fully throw out the snow game, but I do think that it's not indicative of where the two teams are. Uh, so I think this will be... A close one, and I think it is very interesting to see how they'll play, if, provided the weather isn't also just ridiculously shite in New England this time around. Oh, but it's such a you know notably uh, pleasant place to play usually. <laughs> and like people look, sipping I, I, like, pina coladas out of hollowed out. I, I think it's worth saying we're all picking Buffalo across the board, but that's not meant to be disrespect to, to New England. I think New England are very much in this game. They will make life very difficult, and they Sh- have a template. Sean only Sean only picked it so that they could print it off and use it as like. Uh, it's got notice board material, so they go yeah. like, look, no one believes in you. This this <laughs> podcast we found in Ireland, they're all going against you. But we know we know what both these teams want to do. Buffalo might want to run the ball a little bit more just to have that in their back pocket. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I think, you know, both teams know what they need to do. Uh, if it, we know what they've done there. It's, yeah, I think for Buffalo, obviously I picked them as a Super Bowl uh, contender. Um, I think they should get this done. But uh, against New England, yeah, it's going to be very hard. Uh, so, yeah, this is very much coin coin toss territory. Yeah. Uh, Ronan, Chargers at Houston. We've gone for the Chargers. Yeah, because Houston are bad. I don't care if you beat the Jags. You're still bad. And the Chargers, despite their chaotic energy, shouldn't be so chaotic that they can lose to the fucking Texans. So, yeah, Justin Herbert, have a big day. Austin Eckler, if he's healthy, have a big day. And defense, hey, get a few of those turnovers and get a bit of respect in your name. Yeah, Tampa Bay, Carolina. This is you, Sean. We've gone for Tampa Bay across the board. So, Carolina won't be able to capitalize on the complete lack of weapons on Tampa Bay. No, I predict the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will score points this week. And I know it's a big oof, call, but oof. I think they'll get there. Um, I mean, the pieces aren't there, but I mean, I, I think they'll probably have figured out some way to get the ball down the field and, and use what they have. I mean, the big problem the Panthers have is that their offense is basically non-existent. They've got three terrible quarterbacks, which is quite an achievement to manage to have three, basically three starting quarterbacks and they're all bad at the moment. Um, so, I mean, I can't see that the Panthers actually scoring an awful lot of points. Their defense is pretty decent, but I think, I think the Bucks, the Bucks have a weird Saints thing, and I think outside of that, they're 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 better than a team that they get shut out. You know, they they will get it together with injuries, and I just can't see the Panthers offensively doing enough to to keep them in a game against a team that's potentially as good offensively as the Bucks are. No, that's fair. Next up is my pick of the week: Baltimore at Cincinnati. Me and Fitz have gone for Cincinnati. Sean's gone for Baltimore. Look, huge game, huge knock-on impact on the AFC North standings. Cincinnati, you know, they stopped their they stopped their slide last week with a uninspiring, but you know, got the job done win against Denver. I think they're capable of an awful lot more. They're at home. I think, they, if I remember correctly, they beat Baltimore in the first leg of this, didn't they? When they were away to they Baltimore, blew them out. Yeah, forty-one yeah. seventeen. So, like, I'm I'm looking for a get-right game here from Cincinnati to just kind of go. No, this is who we are. This is what we're going to look like going into the back end of this season and hopefully into the playoffs. Baltimore are very injured at the moment. They're missing multiple players at very important positions. Cincinnati defense looked pretty healthy. At the moment, I think we don't have any clarity on whether Lamar is back to play in this game either. So it might be Tyler Huntley again. Like 
I I just think this is again I said the the, the the previous one this is the chance for Cincinnati to make a statement to have a big game against a big divisional rival and prove that they're not just one of the also rounds that this is you have to be taken seriously this is not a year where the AFC North is run away strong but they do play each other pretty brutally sometimes um but yeah I just I I've got a feeling that there's more explosiveness and more chance in that in that since you now the, the worry is just the coaching element i always give the coaching element to baltimore they have the experience with harbaugh he doesn't fuck around the fact that he's losing faith in his own roster and going for twos and doesn't think that their defense can kind of cover things i think shows a lot about where they actually are at the moment maybe some of those guys are back from injury but i i'm just gonna back burrow and chase and mix in to try and get it done in that defense it's been looking pretty decent of late yeah, like I kind of feel like the AC North is almost beyond analysis at this point. It is such a chaotic, stupid, dumb division with teams who are capable of winning and losing in the most spectacular and depressing ways every single week. Um, Cincinnati, like I, I, you know, I think I, I, you know, after all these years, Connor, of advocating for them, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Cincinnati train. I like Joe Burrow. Uh, I think they have an effect. Like they got some of the best weapons in the league, and unlike Baltimore, who, no matter how good they get, they're going to be hamstrung by having so many injuries. Um, I think Cincinnati have that upside. If they could find a spark, they could turn into a really good, uh, a really, really good team that could challenge in the playoffs. But of course, held back by the fact that their coach, head coach, is a bit of a nothing factor. Um, they're obviously very hard to pick for on a week-to-week basis. I think. You know, it's perfectly legitimate to pick Baltimore because Baltimore are a team that wins games when they have no right to win them. Uh, but for Cincinnati, if they can replicate what they've done against their fellow AFC North teams most of this season and put on a shellacking, um, then we can put them a little bit of respect uh, on them. But uh, yeah, this division is just very hard right now to pick anyone week to week because I think all of these teams uh, in the last three weeks are playing each other and then have one game against a good team. I think uh, the Chiefs, Green Bay... Rams and the Chiefs. Uh, I think Chiefs are playing two of them. Um, so this could very much go down to the wire in the, and be a crazy situation going into Week 18. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I was... My sorry. Yeah. My sense of it though is I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, for basically because I don't think if the Bengals win this, they basically win the division, and I don't think the division is going to be won until the final kick of Week 18. The way this division is going, but also in a close game, you start thinking about coaching and you think about John Harbaugh versus Zach Taylor. Who do you trust? As long as they're not going for need to go for two at the end, I trust John Harbaugh to win games for the Baltimore Ravens. So even with injuries, even with Tyler Huntley, uh, I, I think they'll get it done. Yeah. Next up, Denver at Las Vegas. Uh, me and Sean have gone for Denver. Fitz has gone for Vegas. This is not going to be a very good game of football. Uh, Vegas on a downslide, but had a little bit of a bump last week. Denver not looking well last week, but we're out. They're starting quarterback. I don't know if that's going to be the continued situation now. I believe he's still in the concussion protocol for the Most moment. Likely. Um, yeah, don't watch this game. It's going to be terrible. To be honest, it's a very much a coin flip game. I was going to pick Las Vegas, but uh, Fitz is ahead in the picks game so i need to find a couple of <laughs> spots to try and win some games back against him so i yeah. went this this is as good a coin flip as i'm getting against it also why I, one of the reasons why i edged jacksonville over over jets as well <laughs> yeah like this is uh this week's technically relevant bowl neither of these teams should be or hopefully aren't coming in the playoffs and look i'm only picking the vegas raiders because denver are likely playing drew lock that is a yeah huge yeah. neck negative 50 yeah, for me for yeah. any game. The, the, the one thing that was that Drew Locke does have a tendency to like to try and uh, to have one game a season where he actually kind of just puts it together and it looks good and they're like oh yeah maybe we don't have a contra- controversy at quarterback maybe we don't need to I, find someone I am not trusting the poor man's Mitchell Trubisky oh god that's fucking 
But like, you trust in Vegas? Like, really? No, Imagine. but I, I hate Drew Lock more than I hate the Raiders. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Next up, uh, Pittsburgh at Kansas City, or as it'll probably be known, the decimated corpse of Pittsburgh versus whoever is like picked up on waivers by Kansas City this week. Um, yeah. Chiefs currently at this at the moment we're expecting to hear something about this being pushed backwards, but at the moment there's now 16 players from Kansas City uh, on the COVID-19 list. So uh, we've gone for Kansas City across the board. If all those players aren't starting, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean in in a vacuum, it's obviously the Chiefs are a much better team on both sides of the ball, and the Chiefs defense should just kill the the Steelers offense, but. You do have to field a team to win a game in the NFL, so I do hope the Chiefs have a team to field and what that team will look like. Uh, I mean, it's so. I mean, the big names are. It's it's Tyreek Hill is the big name, isn't it? There's other and ones as well. Kelsey and a lot of defensive starters and a lot of other ones. Um, the big one, if you're if you're if you've somehow looked into your fantasy um, uh, playoffs and you need someone to pick up and you're a bit stuck. Go for Josh Gordon. Uh, he is expected to be off this list, and we will have very few wide receivers. So, you know, <laughs> there's there's an option for you. The the thinking man's Michael Hardman for that case. <laughs> yeah, but like, look, yeah. like Kansas City, you know, for them, it, it, you know, obviously it depends on all the injuries. But even if even if they have Hill and whatever back, it's obviously like the Tennessee game last week. It's all about not having those turnovers that, you know, they've mostly kept out of their game plan in recent weeks. Because I think this Pittsburgh team, if you can score even 20 points, I think you can beat this Pittsburgh team. If you don't give them easy chances, don't give them short fields. Pittsburgh are just such a pathetic team right now. Um, and I think if the defensive line for Kansas City is healthy, because Chris Jones is obviously a bit further into it now, uh, Frank Clark, if all those guys are healthy, I think they can bottle up this Pittsburgh offense, keep it close in Kansas City, even with all the situations, as long as they have Patrick Mahomes, I think can do just enough to get a game. Uh, but obviously, if they get the guys back, I think it should be an easy win. Yeah, like the... the, the, the um the main thing is just to see whether or not these people are going to stay on the injured reserve list. Some of them are asymptomatic and would be expected to come off uh, relatively quickly. Others are, it's kind of a question of are there more people who might go off. The one positive that was coming out was all of them were placed on the, on the COVID-19 yesterday. I believe so far today there have been no additional people added onto the list. So that at least is a positive. They've kind of, they've kind and of got, they've hopefully hit the, hit the high point of it. And Pittsburgh are slightly above 500 now, so they are due a loss. Mm, that's true. So let me see. Uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Kelsey, Traverius Ward, Harrison Butker, Chris Jones, Willie Gay, Josh Gordon. There's a lot of people who are on there. A few of them expected to come back off it, but yeah, it's a little bit messy for the moment. Um, but yeah, if, 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 if at least some of them come off, then we should be uh, hopefully good to go. Uh, Chicago at Seattle? We've gone for Seattle across the board, Ronan. Yeah, this game is basically irrelevant for playoff purposes. Seattle, very disappointing, especially in offense. Chicago hitting themselves in the face. And they've shown sparks here and there, but just very hard to trust a Chicago team when the chips are down if it's close. Uh, yeah, we'll Chicago were away. officially eliminated last week, right? Yeah, but like yeah, this game yeah. is irrelevant and not worth watching. Yeah. Uh, Washington football team at Dallas, Sean. Yeah, it's good to know what all... With all the crazy things happening in the world and COVID and everything, you can still be guaranteed there'll be an NFC East matchup that is effectively a dead a dead game on Sunday Night Football. Um, I, I mean, I, I bet the NBC guys are really pissed off that the Eagles won 
um, on on Tuesday because uh, this kind of absolutely kills this game as a contest because the Cowboys have basically won the division uh, and they're they've already proven they're better than Washington because they beat them fairly comfortably, albeit kind of letting them back in at the end earlier. I mean, the Cowboys offense is a bit all over the place. They're not quite where they were, but I still think they've got enough to to beat what's going to come out of, out of Taylor Heineke and such like. The Washington defense has not quite reached the level we've expected. The Cowboys offense, the Cowboys defense is getting some nice turnovers and stuff, so they're going to be at Heineke or whoever plays all games. So, yeah, I think the Cowboys are just a better team. And uh, I can imagine that by midway through the fourth quarter, uh, Al Michaels and Chris Consworth will be talking about something else in the game because it will be that golf, much, uh, isn't it? They always love going on about golf. Isn't <laughs> it? It, could, it could be a potential Garrett Gilbert revenge game, you know. <laughs> Hopefully not. They'll probably get Heineke back, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Monday Night Football. That this is a grim game. Monday Night yeah. Football. Miami. I don't. See, I don't know if it's grim. I think it's interesting. It's a Miami at New Orleans. It's this an arm like, wrestle of a game. Yeah. Like this. These, these. These are two teams who are both somehow inexplicably uh, like absolutely in the midst of, of, of wildcard races here. Like Miami on the back of what, seven straight wins? Something like Six. that? Six straight wins Six, looking yeah. for their seventh. Like it's 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 but, think, but I would I think point this out is the Miami team that the, we saw play so poorly in London. Yeah. <laughs> like they, oh, the yeah, six no wins one. yeah. The six wins is basically the softest schedule ever. They've beaten the Texans, the Ravens. Okay, that's the one win they actually got. So they, aside from the Ravens' win in this six-game streak, they've beaten the Texans, the Jets twice, the Giants, and the Panthers. So I would not read into a six-game win streak what you would normally. But they read only into. need ten points. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That is true. That is true. And like New Orleans are just such a weird team because they obviously have a good they obviously have a head good, good head coach i think sean payton's seen with some COVID stuff um their defense has been playing really well it seems to have kind of be rounded back into the form we expected from last year but Taysom hill is just really really weird he, he's still got he's got a hand injury so even his poor throwing generally is even more scatter shot than, than usual though he seemed to have a couple of nice big shots to callaway in that game but i was mostly set up by the fact that you know they had good short fields and their and the run game's going and they barely used kamara in that game against tampa bay and yeah i think miami like they've won a lot of their games based on turnovers they've won by dominating and kind of getting the ball and getting those short fields and setting up for Tua with the play action and the rpo and Tua. He's such a weird quarterback because on RPOs, he's great. And some of his stat lines have been pretty solid. Um, but he seems to have games, including it's a very bad Jets defense, where he just completely makes huge boneheaded mistakes. And in the red zone, they, they seem to not trust him greatly. Now, I think they're expecting to get Jalen Waddle off the COVID list in this game. I think he's already off it. So that's a huge fill up to their offense. He's really been the engine of them going forward. They'll get Miles Gaskin back to compliment Duke Johnson. I don't know how that running back tandem's going to go. So I think Miami even though they've played worse teams, have shown enough and have at least a semblance of a sensical offense. And given that their defenses are both quite good, maybe that could be enough. But with Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara, you have to give New Orleans a chance. But this is yeah, this is an arm wrestle of a game. Don't expect it to be particularly high scoring. Um, but uh, yeah, one for the purists, certainly. I'm surprised that we've all <laughs> gone for Miami in it, but yeah. Uh, it should be like, yeah, for the purists. Like it's it's what it's it's like as I say, two a.m. in the morning on the night of the twenty seventh of December. Like Ma- you'll be pissed as a fart after four days of Christmas, and you'll be like, I want to stay up till two o'clock in the morning and watch Miami take on New Orleans. The difference is Miami are tractable. I can understand Miami, New Orleans. No idea, and I'm, I'm <laughs> it's confusing and upsetting, and perhaps it's better that we don't have to deal with this in the playoffs. Yeah. 
who knows who knows we'll see uh but yeah that'll wrap it up for this week so obviously we said we're off on our random adventures around the country uh any other plans other than that just sit back eat be merry have christmas presents and watch some sports ball yeah, it's christmas watch christmas movies and the christmas university challenge has started and yeah just the usual kind of chilling out christmas stuff very good uh, yourself it's no uh yeah. no wild adventures you just you're just looking forward to being able to shower and poo again yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> That is uh, looking like the peak of. Hopefully, I'll get that. that that'll happen tomorrow, and then I'll be refreshed and ready for Christmas and uh, get get a, get going on that diabetes tab. Excellent, Jeno. I'm gonna have to just go and pack up a few bits into the bag now and throw the stuff into the car, and then go across for a quick swim and a shower because again, our shower is not set up yet either. We do have a we do have a toilet, but it's just got no cistern in it, so it's a manual flush toilet. Um, so yeah, not the best, but, uh, yeah, up in Donegal tomorrow and then all those adventures and we'll be obviously recording as well over the Christmas period. Uh, we're not a hundred percent sure because we imagine some of these might move depending on the COVID stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on that and we'll, we'll work around that. But for now, I suppose it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. <laughs>